Happy Valentine's Day, Regeneration. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. We'll move on. Um, we'll be wrapping up chapter three today, and then um, we'll be entering into our Lenten series, which I'm actually very excited about. So we'll be taking a break from Ephesians, and for the next several weeks uh, heading into Easter, we'll be looking at Jesus' last days leading to the cross. And we'll be looking at who Jesus encountered along the road to the cross and people like Judas Iscariot next week and uh, Caiaphas the following week. But the focus isn't on those figures or individuals. The, the, the focus is on Jesus. And these other individuals who are part of the story are going to help us see who Jesus is. So we'll be looking at the various people we encounter along the way, uh, many of whom were antagonists, but who are part of God's eternal plan. This past year has been a really challenging year for many people, and it'll be a good pause, I think, during Lent, as, as Lent gives us that space to reflect while knowing God has always been with us that God's eternal plan is, is working. And hopefully the, the challenging time we've experienced is something that we can reflect on and, and grow from. And as we reflect upon this past year, reflect on the story of Jesus' last days leading to the cross, the reflections aren't simply to observe what happened. The reflections are to help us more deeply consider how we are being formed in the image of Christ and who we are becoming through what happened at Calvary and what's happening in our lives. Before we head into this time of Lent next week, I think it's very fitting that we end with a doxology from Ephesians chapter 3. And this is the doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We have a tradition in our church that after every service, every week we end with a doxology. Not from Ephesians, but we end with a short hymn of praise to God every week. And you're familiar with this. It's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Every week. What is doxology? Doxology is praise to God. It is us showing God our adoration. And the last two verses of Ephesians 3 are doxology, which isn't anything new with Paul's writings. Actually, it's nothing new in the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, we read of David doing this after the people bring the offerings for the construction of the temple in First Chronicles. This is what David said to bless the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, 
Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Praising God, adoration for God. And this is throughout the entire Bible, and there are plenty of reasons for praise. Now, before we get to the praise, you have to realize that there is a theology that warrants the doxology. And so let's take a, a look at a psalm, a short one, that actually shows this to us, Psalm 100. And keep in mind of the theology in verses 1 through 4 before we get to the doxology that's found in verse 5. Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The doxology. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And you see the, the giving of praise to God is a deserved one. It's not just this empty praise, that the praise is founded on who God is, not who we are. And it helps in that it weeds out selfishness from ourselves. To recognize God in, in that theology and then to praise God, it weeds out the narcissism that is found in ourselves. It, it helps us to grow in humility. How did Paul get to this point of doxology in Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21? You'll notice that it is preceded by prayer. And so if you go back to Ephesians 1 at, at Paul's prayer in chapter 1, and in the verses right before this doxology is another prayer. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 19 is another prayer. So let's go back to chapter 1 first. Paul prayed that God give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 17, chapter 1. He then prayed for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened, to know the hope God calls them to and the riches of his glorious inheritance. Verse 18. Then in verse 19, the prayer is for them to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And then we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is where Paul prays for God to grant them strength with power through his spirit in their inner being. Verse 16. That Christ dwells in their hearts through faith rooted and grounded in love. That's found in verse 17 that they know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 19. And it's not until after all of that theology found in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that the doxology preceded by prayer in chapter 1 and the verses prior to this that we finally get to this praise, this adoration. 
And in this doxology in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, now to him who is able, and he also writes, and to him be glory. Who is him? Who is God? Big question. Not going to be filled up in one sermon, but because we have a Bible full of information to tell us who God is. But let's just take a look at a few verses that tell us who God is. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then there's these verses in Romans 11, starting in verse 34. It's a couple of rhetorical questions. It reads, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No one. Nobody. And so we read that God is omniscient. We read that God is omnibenevolent. That there isn't anyone who knows more. There isn't anyone who understands more. There isn't anyone who is wiser. There isn't anyone who is more loving or giving or resourceful. That God borrows from no one. He doesn't need anything from anyone. He is God. People who have other ideas of what God is like... If it is contrary to the Bible, then that is not an accurate description of God. We don't make God who we want him to be. God is who he is. God is not dependent on anything. He is not contained by time or space or material or anything in the natural world. And people attempt to contain God by his own creation, but he's not bound by his creation. He saves his own creation. We don't save ourselves. It doesn't mean we aren't good stewards of our own agency, but we don't get so proud to think that we don't need God. We're all broken people. We're all sinful people. It's in our nature. And the only way to be healed of our brokenness is is not anything that we can do ourselves. It is something outside of us, namely Jesus Christ, who is powerful to set us free. Let's look at verse 20 a little more deeply. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God is omniscient, omnibenevolent, omnipotent. And for God to do what he says he will do, he'll need to be powerful enough to do it. Because it's no use in saying you're going to do something if you can't do it. Now, not only is God able, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Far more abundantly. So when we approach God... I encourage you to go big. Ask big. 
ask for the miraculous, ask for the impossible. Paul asked God for the Christians in Ephesus to be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> That's huge because that church had some major issues. There was some serious division in that church that needed to be addressed. That's why he wrote this letter. And, and Paul asked for that. He didn't ask for something a little bit smaller like, God, can they just get along? He went big. He said, filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, that's so big. Paul was able to pray for that because he knew God could do it far more abundantly. And God has done this with many of you when he has given you far more abundantly. It has happened in my own life. God knows me so well that I've been given far more abundantly than I've ever asked. And this is, this is one of my favorite Bible verses in the entire Bible because this is one that I've experienced firsthand. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This verse is so true. This verse works. The thing is, is you have to first delight yourself in the Lord, not other things. Then the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. When I first moved to the Bay Area, I moved here because of a job transfer. I didn't know very many people here at all. This was kind of a very strange place for me. And so I first started with this company I worked for uh, back in Los Angeles. And as part of the orientation class, we were there for a week of training. And one of the first things they had us do was they had us draw on these sheets. And this will give you a, a clue as to how old I am. It's those transparency sheets so that after you can show them up on that. I don't even know what it's called, the, the pr projector. Like you show it on a projector, right? So that's how far back I go. But this is what I'm drawing on, right? And, and they ask us to draw out our desires and, and what we wanted and what our dreams were. And so I, I drew me. I drew me in a tux. And I drew a lady in a bridal dress with green eyes and brownish blonde hair. And in our arms, I drew four babies. I was living in L.A. at the time. I was 22 years old, fresh out of college. I didn't meet Katie until six years later in Oakland. And we're blessed with four daughters. And I drew a huge Bible. I drew this huge Bible with a cross right in the center of it. I wasn't in ministry at the time. I wasn't in pastoral school. I didn't go to seminary yet or anything like that. I... All I wanted to do at the time was I wanted to make money. That's all I wanted to do. But that's what I drew. And the Lord changed my heart when the Holy Spirit convicted me to reconcile with my dad. And that was one of the most difficult decisions in my life because I didn't want to do it. I didn't, I didn't want to forgive. 
I didn't want to have any relationship with him whatsoever. I didn't want any of that. And the decisions that he made in the past hurt my mom, hurt my sister, hurt me. And I had a lot of people praying for me, and I received a lot of wise counsel. I attempted to delight myself in the Lord. And then a pivotal decision was made to forgive and to reconcile. And that changed the trajectory of my entire life. And God changed my heart to be able to do the miraculous. Because prior to this reconciliation with my dad, I had not spoken to him for over eight years. God's amazing that in leading me to delight myself in him, he then started giving the desires of my heart. It's amazing. And there are many stories of God working the miraculous in people's lives. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Not shooting off for some other cause or not shooting up for some other mission or doing some other thing that you think is noble or worthy or just or righteous or holy or whatever. Just this simple thing. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? He'll give you the desires of your heart. He's able to far more abundantly give you the desires of your heart. So pray big. He's powerful. And I've seen God change the most hardened hearts of people. Who they once were before, to whom they've become over the course of of time and continuing to give me the de desires of my heart and God answers according to the power at work within us. The Holy Spirit is within us. That power is within us, working within us, saving us. And you look at what the power at work within us did to someone like Paul what it has done for someone like you or someone that you know, what the power at work within me did for me. Because forgiving my dad, that was the farthest thing from me. Like I, That was not me. I can honestly tell you that. There was not a single piece in me that wanted that. That was not me. That was far from anything I ever wanted to do. And there are believers here, who are needing to deal with some sin issues. And I encourage you to take a courageous step of faith with God, to delight in God, to pray for the Holy Spirit to work within you, to do the right things that you don't want to do. And there are people who don't believe that they need God's power to work within them. That this Ephesians chapter 2 is still you, that you haven't taken this step yet. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Some of you listening to this may still be dead in your trespasses and in your sins, but the power of God can make you alive. The power of God can make you believe. Do you believe? Do you believe God's word? Do you believe God's power can work within you? Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You don't have to be far anymore. The blood of Christ can bring you near. The blood of Christ brings you close. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter, or Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What we are doing, what we are not doing, to live out all that God has for us. And then to end Ephesians 3 and verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God will be revealed in his church and in Christ Jesus. People will experience God's glory in his church, in his people, in their communities, through the transformed lives of the people in the church, that others are to be able to see the faithfulness, forgiveness, compassion, goodness, peace inside the church. And this is what people ought to see. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how foolish we are, but that God uses the foolish to shame the wise. And of course, we as the church, we're going to mess up. We're people. But this is kind of the place where we figure those things out. This is the place where forgiveness is extended and grace is extended and love and compassion and reconciliation where restoration happens. It's when people see how we unite together within these differences that they see that the church is where people can, can see community, love one another, even though there are differences and they aren't getting along. That people who are hard to love are loved in here. Where people at odds with one another in other aspects of their life can unite in Christ. Where there is an empathy for people in pain and people in fear. Where people who are so different and diverse are still friends. This happened in Ephesus. Jews and Gentiles were not friends. And everybody knew it. But then, people saw them becoming friends. They saw the church happening. And that was so strange. It was so odd for people outside of those circles to witness them singing together, eating together, 
coming together around this person named Jesus. And that was really, really weird. How can that be? Because God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God's glory is displayed in his church and in Christ Jesus. The church is a place of transformative power. And again, if you just look at the slice of it in terms of just today on a Valentine's Day, it might not seem like, oh, right, like our church isn't looked at very positively at all. But you got to take a look at the church throughout time. And there are times where it has shined brightly and other times where it has been really dark. Needless to say that the church is the place that we say amen. Verse 21, the last word, amen. Now amen is an expression of assent. It is, it is to concur with what is being proclaimed, said, done. It's essentially saying yes, agreeing with it. It's agreeing with something. The God who created the universe loves and cares for you and for me. Amen. God has an eternal plan to save us from what separates us from him. Amen. God can rescue us from our rebellious hearts. Amen. God opens our eyes to truth, to Jesus Christ. Amen. I can believe and abide in truth. Amen. That's what amen is. It's concurring, it's agreeing. And there are so many things that can go wrong in life. So many things have been going wrong this past year in people's lives. That life can be very, very difficult. It can be very challenging. And sometimes we hurt ourselves and get in the way of our own growth, of our own health, of our own progress. But then enters the grace of God. When we extend compassion, food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothing to the naked, when we extend an olive branch of peace and ask of forgiveness. These are these glimpses of God's grace. And when we have God's grace collectively as a church, that's a glorious occurrence. And maybe people will be curious about the church if they can see that at work. We're not to be a reflection of what is already happening in the world. We are to be a reflection of what it is to be in heaven. And so many times we misrepresent that. But the church is to be a place of grace. A place of reconciliation. 
not just between us, but that we are introducing people to Christ. That is the ultimate goal, mission of ours. But we need to exercise these heavenly practices inside the church. The forgiveness, peace, unity, reconciliation, restoration, extensions of love, grace, compassion, mercy. So hard to do. Really hard to do. But God is able to give far more abundantly if we ask. If we delight in him, he gives us the desires of our heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, worthy of our praise, I ask, Lord, that we would get these things right, that we would um, be able, Lord, to see you for who you are and what a task you have given us as the church. Scary because we have failed you time and time again and yet this is your plan and how miraculous your wisdom is in that it removes all ability for us to boast in ourselves that it's all you. So God, I pray, Lord, that any pride is just taken away from us, that we would have spirits of humility to be able to love those who are most difficult in our church, to show the world your power to unite all things in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take communion together. And prior to taking this symbol of God's body broken for us. Let's take some time to reflect, to think about who we need to reconcile with, who we need to restore relationship with. Do that first before partaking in this. Take that step of faith. Let's take this together. the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. Uniting us in Christ. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these elements, this constant reminder of what you have done for us, the promises that you've made the promise that you're going to return. Lord Jesus, we ask that you return soon. In Jesus' name, amen.